Welcome to the Calvary Chapel Naples Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you'll be blessed by this week's message from Pastor Aaron Lapp. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org. This morning I woke up as I normally do, only God started talking to me right away, this morning, right away. And he said, I, I want you to say this at the start of, uh, of, the, of the morning, say this. I, I had to write it down so I would remember, because you know me, I don't normally work with a lot of notes, but this is something that he wanted to be saying. As I was writing it down, I had my phone, and I was taking notes really quick on my phone, because he's just started talking, and... and uh, I was writing it down quick, and I was thinking, oh, yeah, this is good. This is good. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. I had no idea uh, what he was doing with this, actually, uh, and, and how that was going to play in this morning. So I'm going to just go through this and lay it over what we all just went through this morning. We're in the place in Deuteronomy where you've got this new group of, of uh, people that are ready to go into the promised land, right? It's the, it's the same, same border that their parents were at. Um, they've come to that same place where, where their parents came to and looked in and sent in spies and looked at the land and despite what God had said, decided that it was just too scary to go in. They were afraid. They said, yes, we see what God is talking about, but there are mighty armies and fortified cities and obstacles in there that we just don't think we can overcome and it's too scary and so we're not going to go in. And this new generation, this next generation of people, they have the same obstacles, the same cities, the same mighty armies, the same border that they have to cross, all of the same things. They are all facing the same choice. What was different? Because we'll see that this generation actually chooses to go in. What was different? If everything else was the same for these two groups of people, what was different this time? They chose faith over fear. Faith over fear. That was so easy to type this morning at about 8. Somewhere around 9.45 today, God started saying to me, you believe that? Do you believe it? Because I'm saying it. Do I believe it as well? Because we were looking at tornado watch and dark skies, and, and I was scared. God said, will you choose faith over fear? See, fear is the thing that so often holds us back from full obedience to the Lord. Fear is the thing that keeps us from experiencing the blessings that God has planned for us. <clears throat> fear of what might happen or what might not happen. Fear of what others might think of us. Fear that we might fail or lose everything that we have worked so hard to achieve or acquire. Fear that we might die. I know that they were probably still afraid as they looked across the, the river and they saw all of these mighty armies and fortified cities. And I know that there are some of us here who are looking out over the landscapes of our futures whether it's years down the road or whether it's this afternoon. And we have fear. And we all have the same choice. 
The same choice. Will we choose faith over fear? But there's a very important distinction. It's not just faith. It's not faith in faith. Not faith in faith itself. Hebrews chapter 11 is often called the faith chapter. If you read through it, you're going to see something that everybody in that chapter have in common. And it isn't how much faith they have, but who they have faith in. Not how much faith, but who their faith is in. It's not faith in faith. It's faith in the one true and living God. I have faith in the one true and living God. The one who formed the universe and knit me together in my mother's womb. The one who created every grain of sand and still knows my name. The one who became flesh and lived a perfect life so that he could die a perfect death, who then rose from the grave fully alive and overcame sin once and for all. I have faith in that guy. There's an old song that we used to sing in the church that I grew up in. It was called Because He Lives. In the chorus, it goes like this. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. Because I know, I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. One of my life verses, this is a verse that has gotten me through a lot of really hard times, is 2 Timothy 1.7. You probably know it. It says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and of power and of a sound mind. But this morning, God reminded me that there's a verse 6 that comes before verse 7. And verse 6 says this, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. Stir it up. Now, I like that image. Stir it up. At home, I have this drink. I guess it's an elixir. I call it miracle elixir. But it basically is just a whole bunch of things that are supposed to be really good for you, like turmeric and and cinnamon and cayenne and honey and lemon and apple cider vinegar. But you're supposed to drink it, and it's supposed to make you feel good and be healthy. Because those are like all these, you know, herbs and spices that you need that you should be having in your diet that I don't tend to eat. But I could, I could get them all in this one elixir. But if I let that elixir set, all of that stuff just settles down to the bottom. And you can look at the jar, and you'll be like, all the good stuff is on the bottom. And it's just mostly apple cider vinegar and water. Gross at the top. So in order to get all of the good stuff, I have to stir it up. And once I stir it up, all that stuff gets all mixed up in there. And you take a big old swig of Miracle Elixir and you're good to go. (laughs) That's good stuff. See, so often we are afraid and we need to be stirred up. I think that's why you're here today so that that gift of faith can be stirred up in you so that you can choose faith in God over fear and remember the song, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. 
because he lives, all fear is gone because I know, I know he holds the future and life is worth the living just because he lives. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you so much for this morning and for this time. Wow, what, what a crazy morning. Lord, thank you for calling me right to the carpet to say, do you really believe that? I do, Lord. I do. Here I stand, choosing faith in you today. Lord, I ask your blessing on the remainder of this morning and our safety and, and for the safety of those who aren't here, who want to be here, Lord. Um, I pray that you would keep them safe as well. Thank you, Lord, for this time, and I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you're new today and you thought that was the sermon, boy, are you in for a surprise. <laughs> that is what God gave me this morning while I woke up like, like that, and I just had to type it out. But I had no idea that he was going to interweave that with actual life experience today, today. But right, doesn't God do this? Like, Lord, would you make me more patient don't pray that. <laughs> Probably you should pray that, but God's not going to be like, more patient. No, what he'll do is like, say, I'm going to bring in people into your life that are going to cause you to have to be patient uh, so that you can practice it. You know, the more you, more you have to do it, the better you get at it, right? So uh, if I, as I'm talking this morning and as I'm writing down, hey, choose faith over fear, and God was like, do it then, do it, do it. Here we are. So we are going to be in Deuteronomy chapter 12 today. So go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 12. Uh, <clears throat> luckily, Jeff did put on the timer today. So because um, <clears throat> my watch is all off now. Um, at the last week, we kind of ended at the end of chapter 11, right at the end, th verses 31 uh, and 32. That's where we ended. 31, he says, for you will cross over the Jordan and go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you, and you will possess it and dwell in it. And you shall be careful to observe all of the statutes and judgments which I set before you. And so that's kind of a, a repeated message. You're going to go in. There are several repeated messages that God sticks. There's not, they're not even complicated. He just repeats them over and over again. And, you know, you, I read those and I'm like, okay, I get it. I get it. I get it. And I'm sure they're hearing them and they're saying, I get it. I get it. But what we see is if, as you read through just the, the, the path that they took from that, for they didn't get it or else they got it and they just didn't keep it because they continuously choose badly. But he says to Moses, is saying to them now as they're going in, that these, be careful to observe these statutes and judgments which I set before you today. Verse one, chapter 12, these are the statutes and judgments which you shall be careful to observe in the land which the Lord our God of your fathers is giving you to possess. So remember, there were no chapter breaks. Uh, at that time, it was just one long scroll that they would read or one long sermon that, that Moses was giving. But, so it rolls right from 11 into 12 right here. And he says, these, be careful to observe this, the statutes and the judgments. And here they are. And I'm thinking the people must have been like, finally, all right, you've been talking about these statutes. And you're going to tell us what they are that we're supposed to observe when we go into the land. And like, great, give us the rituals and the practices and the sacred ceremonies and the things that are going to put us in good standing with God. And Moses says this, 
You shall utterly destroy all of the places of the nations which you shall possess and serve their gods on high mountains. And he basically says, I'm not giving you rituals and practices and ceremonies to observe. The very first thing that I'm telling you as part of the judgments and statutes is to go in and utterly destroy anything that had to do with pagan worship because as we're going to see, that will pull you away from worshiping the one true God. So he's saying, it's not about rituals, it's not about ceremonies, it's not about all these sacred things that you need to do. First thing is, make sure that you tear down anything false and pagan in your life that's causing you to worship somebody other than me, is what God is saying right there. First step, first step, go in and tear all of this stuff down. He says, um, on their high mountains, and on the hills, and under every green tree. Like, do you know (laughs) that they were very religious? The Canaanites were very religious. Does that surprise you to know that they were very religious? It might if you think that being, you know, someone, well, if you read your Bible and you go to church, you're very religious. Well, maybe that's what it means. But if someone were to say to me, you're very religious, I would say, you know what? I have a relationship with the Lord. And I don't know that I'm religious, although I know what they kind of mean. But these Canaanites, they were very religious people. They had temples and shrines and pagans all over the place. Everywhere they looked, there was some other statue or, 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 or temple or shrine for them to pray or offer sacrifice to or do you know, unspeakable immoral things that they're going to do in, in worship of their gods. And so he says, when you go in, don't, don't be surprised to see all of this stuff around, but tear it all down, utterly destroy it. That means everything gone, everything gone. One of the things that we see here is he's talking about the hills and the high places. So the Canaanites, what they would do in their, in their pagan worship is they felt like they had to build their temples and their worship places on the highest peaks that they could find on the mountaintops and the hills because they felt like they had to reach up to God or God's wherever they thought their gods were up there. And the best way to get close to them is for us to go up to where they are, to build our temples and our high places up there on the mountaintops and the high places. You know, all of the pagan uh, religions that I know of have some form of we have to reach up to where our God is. We have to try and reach up to our God. Christianity says, no, God reached down to come to us. Because we could not get to where he is. He reached down to us. In fact, that's, just, that's not a New Testament thing. That's a God thing. Because remember, he said, you know what? I'm going to dwell among you. That's what he says, that the word tabernacle means dwelling place among them. And so he said, I'm going to create a dwelling place among my people. I'm going to reach down in the, in, into this group of people here in the Old Testament. I'm going to reach down and I'm going to dwell with you. He says, I'm going to dwell with you. I'm going to reach down. You can't get to me. I have to come to you. Now, that was a little bit changed when, when, when Jesus came. Now it wasn't just, I'm going to dwell with them. In fact, Jesus said, I'm going to dwell within them. You know, he comes, to, he comes down, and uh, in, in, uh, in the Bible it says that he's, uh, I wrote this down, hang on. 
and John 1, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God. And, and all things that were made, th- were made through him, everything that was made was made through him. And then it says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we be- beheld his glory. See, God continues this idea of you're not reaching up to me, I'm reaching down to you. And he did it in the New Testament by sending his son, Jesus Christ. The word became flesh and came down and dwelt among us. And it says, and we beheld his glory. In fact, one of the names of God where it says Jesus would be called Emmanuel means God with us. Now it went even deeper still after Jesus was crucified and rose again, because Paul would write in First and in Second Corinthians, do you not know that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit now who dwells within you? He says, God says, I will dwell with them. And then later on, once we move from the Old Testament to New Testament, he says, not only will I dwell with them, but I will dwell in them. He has reached down to us. The, the, the Canaanites, they were always trying to reach up to where their God was on these hills in high places. And Moses says, when you go in, you tear down the hills. You tear down the high places. Sadly, we see that they, they don't do it. Over and over again, if you read through Kings, you see that uh, even some of the kings that were good and did right in the eyes of the Lord, it says, but they did not tear down the high places. That means they left up places for pagan worship to take place. They didn't utterly destroy. And And under every green tree, you know what? They would plant these groves in and around their temples. And then what they would do was they would um, shape their trees into very phallic symbols. Everybody who's an adult know what I mean? Okay. Because their worship was very sexually based. You know, when you, when, I, you know, they, when you read that, you think, oh, well, this is how their gods commanded them to worship in these sexual practices. Like, first of all, their gods are statues and stones. I know the heart of man. I can read it in the word what it says the heart of man. Does it not surprise you that they were like, hmm, how can we use sex as a way of, of worship? How can we build that in? In fact, it doesn't surprise me at all. They were like, you know what? All of our worship centers around this sexual immorality and sexual practice. And so they created these groves of all of these trees um, that they would then, in the shady parts of these trees, they would go in and that's where they would you know, worship their rocks and stones. And Moses says, don't even, don't even leave the trees there, those groves. You need to cut them all down, utterly destroy. Uh, it says, you shall destroy, you see in verse 2, all the places, the nations which you shall possess. Do you know what all means? Well, in Greek, we know all means all. We've said that before, right? In Greek, all means all. You know what all means in Hebrew? Everything. <laughs> it literally, it means everything. Utterly destroy everything where they worship false gods. And you shall destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and burn their wooden images with fire. And you shall cut down, in Hebrew, that's hack down the carved images of their gods and destroy their names from that place. 
And verse four says, you shall not worship the Lord your God with such things. Here's what would happen. Remember, God had already said to them through Moses, when you go into this land, you're going to inherit homes and farms and fields and vineyards and orchards and, and possessions, none of which you had anything to do with creating, but I'm giving all of it to you, but not their temples, not their pillars, not the places of worship, because the temptation would be to look at it and say, well, a building's already here. Why don't we just move in and we can worship God in their buildings. We can worship God using the things that they've created to worship false gods with. And God says, "Uh uh-uh, no. You're not to use the things that were created specifically to worship pagan gods to worship me. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, we're talking about specific things. And this also, if you look this up in Hebrew, it means in the way also, the way they worship. Not just the things, but in the way that they worship. It doesn't mean that, you know, because rock stars use guitars and drums, that we shouldn't use guitars and drums. Those are general, just generic types of things. Instruments were used in the Bible to praise God. Um, this is talking about things specifically made to worship pagan gods. Those are the things that they were to say, no, we're not going to use those things. In fact, we're going to destroy those things. We're going to hack them down, break them up, get rid of them, take drastic action to make sure that we don't worship God with the things that they use to worship false gods. But you shall seek the place where the Lord your God chooses out of all of your tribes to put his name for his dwelling place. Remember, where you say for his dwelling place, it means what? Tabernacle, right? He had already instructed them on how to build the tabernacle. They were going to take it from one place to the next, and they were going to set it up wherever they chose to. No. What does it say? What does it say here? God will choose God will choose the place every single time that he wanted them to set up the tabernacle. And in fact, he did. Remember, they would walk through the wilderness and there was like a a column of fire at nighttime and a column of smoke. And wherever that thing stopped, that was where they set up the tabernacle. And going forward, God will say the same thing. He's like, there's going to be a different place each time. He doesn't even tell them here where it's going to be. He just says, it will be where God chooses. That is where you will worship. Uh, You know, it's going to be, uh, and let's say cross over the Jordan, they're going to set it up in Gilgal. Then God's going to set it up in Shiloh, then Nob, then Gibeon, and then David eventually is going to set up the tabernacle in Jerusalem, and it's still a tabernacle. Remember, at some point, David, they're in tabernacle uh, in Jerusalem, and he's looking around, and he says, uh, look at all these other kingdoms that have houses for their gods, and our God lives in a tent. I'm going to build a house for our God. Do you know that God never asked him to do that? God never said, build me a house so that I can be like every other God. He would never say that. In fact, he would say the opposite. He never told David to build him. What he said is, David, you can't build me a tabernacle. You've shed too much blood. But God allowed his son Solomon to build him a house in Jerusalem. But God chose that place. Wherever he chose it, that was the place that they were to 
worship. This group, now you have to understand, when we're talking about this group, they were one group of people, the only ones basically moving all together in one spot. So when he talks about the one place that you're to come and worship, they could do it because they were all in one place. I don't just hold on to that idea as we go forward here. And then he says, there, shall be, there you shall take your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, the heave offering of your hand, your vowed offerings, your freewill offerings, and your firstborn of your herds and your flocks. All of the things, all of the times that you come to worship, either through offerings or sacrifices or tithing, you will do it at the place that I choose for you. And there you shall uh, eat before the Lord your God, and you shall rejoice in all in which you have put your hand, put your hand you and your households in which the Lord God has blessed you. He's going to say rejoice, I think, like three times just in this chapter. In worship of God, in service to God, in sacrifice to God, it should cause you to rejoice. In Hebrew, rejoice means be happy. Be happy. Who? I mean, how? I don't even know how to say this. Let me think. If I'm walking around and I'm like, yay. I get to serve God. I'm going to church. It's, it's amazing. <sighs> and everyone's going to be like, I'm going where that guy, wherever that guy goes to church, that's where I'm going to go. Because, man, doesn't he look happy about it? I'm like, come on, everybody, let's go to church. You want to come and visit? It's really great there. Or whoever's like, you know, I, you know, hey, where do you go to church? Because, I mean, you don't have to go where I go, obviously, but, you know, there's some energy and it's fun and, and we worship God and we're, we're rejoicing, rejoicing in our service to the Lord because it is a time for rejoicing. Whew. <clears throat> you shall not... At all do as we are doing here today, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. And see, what he's talking about right there is right up until they cross over, there wasn't quite such a structured system. And everyone was like, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to worship this way. And they were still worshiping God, but they were all kind of doing it however seemed like best to them in their own house or with their family or a couple people would gather or whatever it was, whatever seemed right to them at the time. And there was no consistency in worship right there. And he's saying, it's not going to be like we've been doing here, but when we cross over, there will be a place and there will be some order to which we will worship God. There's order. <clears throat> For as you have not come to the rest of the inheritance which the Lord God is giving you, but, verse 10, when you cross over the Jordan and dwell in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to inherit, and he gives you rest from all of your enemies round about so that you dwell in safety, then there will be the place where the Lord God chooses. Well, I mean, everyone's waiting like, like, where, God, you keep on saying there will be a place that God chooses. And you're like, okay, where is it? And he says in verse 11, there will be the place. And they're like, where, <laughs> where? But he's answered it already in verse 10. When he gives you the rest from your enemy in the place that he gives you the rest. See, really what it's going to come down to, it is not really about the place in terms of a building or even, you know, latitude and longitude, whichever. It's about the place in the presence of the Lord, in the place of the presence of the Lord. And he says, and when you come to that place, you'll know that's where I will give you rest. 
I love that idea because as that kind of rolls on into now or any time between now and, and Jesus in this New Testament time, Jesus says, you know, it's not about where you go. It's about who you're worshiping. And he says, and, and, and it's me. And if you come to me, he says in Matthew, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Right? He says, it's not the place, it's not the building, it's the place in the Lord that you come to worship. Jesus would come to this woman, the Samaritan woman at the well, and uh, you know the story, she would come and he would say, hey, can I have a drink? And, and, uh, and then they have this whole conversation and he's like, you've been married like six times and, and, uh, and so she says, oh, you're a prophet. And she says, well, you Jews say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. But all of my forefathers, we always worshiped on this mountain. You know what mountain that was, by the way? Does anybody know? Gerizim. Remember Gerizim from last week? The mountain of blessing? Remember? Gerizim, mountain of blessing. Ebal, mountain of curses. Well, from that point, and, and you know, uh, Abram had built an altar there. Isaac had built an altar there. It was a very important mountain, a mountain of blessing. And so she said, but we are supposed to, we, we worship on Gerizim and you guys worship in Jerusalem. So like, what is it? And Jesus says this to her now. He goes, there is coming a time and it is now come when true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. He says it's not the building, it's worshiping the one true and living God in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit, he'll say. Those who worship him, worship him in spirit, not in Jerusalem, not in Naples, in spirit. She will also go on just right before this and say, well, when the Messiah comes, he's going to explain everything. And Jesus says, yeah, that's me. Literally, he says, I'm him. I'm the Messiah. Right? So if anybody ever says to you, Jesus never said that he was the Messiah. Yeah, he did. And this is at least one place that you can find out where he goes, yes, you're right, and yes, that's me. I'm the Messiah. You see, the Old Testament was, um, for them, an actual place, a tabernacle, where God said, we're all together, this is where you will come. There is a place. In the New Testament, um, it's us, the believers, the, the, the coming together to get together to worship God in spirit, but God, we are the temple of the living God, it says. The Old Testament, there was a way that God is going to establish for them to do it. He says, there is a way that I want you to do it. Um, in the New Testament, guess what? There's still a way. There's still a way. It's with guitars and flip-flops and, and no. <laughs> That's not what I mean. There is still a way. And the way is named Jesus. In fact, that's what he'll say about himself, isn't it? He'll say, I am the way the truth and the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by me. He says, there is though I am the way. And notice that Jesus doesn't say, I'm a way. I'm a way. There are many, but I'm one of the good ones. No, he says, I am the way. And he follows that up in case you're confused with no man comes to the Father but by me. The thing that the Old Testament and the New Testament have in common uh, <clears throat> is I don't understand this note. <laughs> it's still the same God, isn't it? The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. 
It wasn't like God said, you know what, this whole Old Testament thing is not working. Um, Jesus. It wasn't like, you know what I'll do is I'm going to have a baby with Mary. And then that baby, it was Jesus from the beginning. Didn't remember in John, it says he was with God from the beginning and all things were created by him and through him. There wasn't anything that was created that wasn't created by Jesus. Jesus wasn't even a plan B. It wasn't like God was like, oh, this didn't work. Jesus, you better go down there and work this out. (laughs) Jesus was not plan B. Jesus has always been plan A. God said there is a way that is different from the way the pagans do it, and I'm going to require that you do it this way. And really, what's the way? If you think about it, what did he tell them? The very first thing, he says, go in and break down all the pagan idols, break down all the temples. What, was the, what, were, what, what does he keep telling them to do? What do I keep telling us to do? What do we need to do? What do we need to make God in our lives? Preeminent, first and foremost, get rid of anything else in your life that comes before God. And that's the way. That's what he was telling them. Worship me above anything else. Get rid of anything that's going to draw you away and worship me. Jesus says the same thing to us. I'm the only way. Worship me. So is there a way? There is a way. There's a way, and that way is the person of Jesus. God only. Well, I lost my place. (laughs) Oh, that's right. So let's just pick right up at 21, uh, 12, excuse me. (laughs) Gotcha. (laughs) And you shall rejoice, he says again, before the Lord your God and your sons and your daughters, your male and female servants and the Levites who are within your gates, since he has no portion of inheritance with you. Verse 13, take heed to yourself. That means, remember, guard yourself that you do not offer your burnt offerings in every place that you see but in the place which the Lord chooses. And what he says is when you come to offer sacrifices and and tithes and offerings, you no longer, you can't do it wherever you want to do it. You have to come to this place. Now, remember, I'm talking specifically about him talking to these Israelites in the promised land. He's saying, when you come, you have to come and you have to bring it when you're bringing an offering or a sacrifice to the place that the Lord chooses. That's very important to the place that the Lord chooses, because I'm sure at some point there was somebody who says, well, why do I have to go there? Can I just offer my sacrifices here in my own yard? Now, please don't overlay that to now and say, you have to come to this church to worship God. That's not what that means. What this was saying was the Lord had said, I will choose the place for you to come and offer your sacrifices. And if you are, are pushing back against that, it's the beginning of rebellion in your heart to say, for them to say, no, I'm not going to go. I don't have to go where the Lord is telling me to go. This very clearly is the Lord saying, you need to, when you offer your sacrifices, you need to come here. If you push back against that, you're in rebellion. We, rebellion still is something that we deal with. Now, again, I'm not saying that you have to come to this church or a church to worship God. You ought to. You ought to come to a church that is teaching the word of God so that you can be in Christian fellowship together and grow and serve, by the way. If the only thing you see church as is a place where you can come and hear a good message and to leave, then you're only getting a little tiny piece of it. Part of coming to a church is serving in a church so that you're serving others and serving God through that. It's so important. But you can worship God wherever you are. That's not what this is, not a New Testament verse to us. 
right? But the idea of rebellion in your heart against what the word says in, in any given place that you may read something you're like, well, I don't know about that. I don't know about that thing that God just said. I mean, that seems a little harsh or that seems a little strict or that seems a little whatever. And I don't think that's what it means. It's the beginning of rebellion in your heart. And that's what you have to take heed, guard against. Guard against rebellion to God's word in your heart. It can slip in so easy. In one of your tribes there you shall offer your burnt offerings and there you shall do all that I command you. Verse 15, it says, however you may slaughter and eat meat within your own gates, whatever your heart desires, according to the blessings of the Lord your God, which he has given you, the unclean and the clean may eat of it, of the gazelle and of the deer alike. So first of all, what he's saying is not every animal that you kill is a sacrifice. You are allowed to kill and eat meat. That's what it says. He says, so if you do decide to have a barbecue with your neighbors, whether they're clean or unclean, meaning whether they, they are, uh, whether they could go to the tabernacle and sacrifice or not because of some reason they're unclean, um, they're, and there were many reasons, um, he says, that doesn't matter. If you're just sitting down to have a meal, it doesn't matter. Go ahead, have a barbecue, enjoy it, do it, and do it wherever. You want to do it in your backyard, go for it. Only you shall not eat the blood. You shall pour it out on the earth like water. We've talked about this before. Remember when the Jerusalem council met and they were like, well, the new believers, these Gentiles, they need to be circumcised. And then, you know, Paul and James and Peter were like, no, they don't. We've seen the Holy Spirit bless them and they weren't, sac- they weren't circumcised and that's not necessary. And so they all got together and they decided, this is what we should tell them. Um, uh, avoid things offered or polluted by idols. Um, avoid sexual immorality. Avoid things that have been strangled and don't eat blood. Don't eat blood. Why? Because blood is life. That's what the Bible says. Blood is life, and life belongs only to God. Only to God. He gives it, he extends it, he takes it as he sees fit to do. Life belongs to God. And so he's saying, when you go to eat an animal, you need to bleed it out before you eat that animal because you are not to eat blood Blood belongs to me, God says. And so they were supposed to let it pour out onto the ground like water. It'll say that a little bit later as well. Don't eat blood. You know, there are, there's a lot of pagan worship that has a lot to do with the blood and drinking the blood and doing all these things that are completely opposite to what God has said. Blood belongs to me because it's life and life is mine. <clears throat> okay, so in verse 17, it says, you may not eat with your, with, you may not eat Within your gates, the tithe of your grain or your new wine or your oil or the firstborn of your herd or your flock or any of your offerings which you vow of your freewill offering um, or of the heave offering of your hand, but you must eat them before the Lord your God in the place which the Lord our God chooses, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant and the Levite who is within your gates, and you shall rejoice... Before the Lord your God, in, which, in all to which you have put to your hands. And so he's saying, when you come to worship, if you're going to kill an animal for worship's sake, that you do at the tabernacle. But if you're going to kill an animal to have a standing rib roast for dinner, you do that at your house. It's completely okay. So he's making a distinction right here between you could kill an animal and eat it, but you cannot kill an animal and eat it that's supposed to be for worship. If it's coming for a sacrifice, that has to be done within order and in this place that I've established for you. He says, take heed 
that you do not forsake the Levites as long as you live in the land. And the Levites were their ministers. And seriously, this is a verse for me because it's saying, if you're having a standing rib roast at your house, don't forsake your minister. I also like chicken and lobster. And I'm not under any uh, unclean food uh, orders here. So. And also, my, my, one of my most favorite verses is, is verse 20. When your Lord God enlarges your border and he has promised you and you shall say, let me eat meat because you long to eat meat, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires. That's, you may eat as much meat as your heart desires if you desire it. So, um, verse 21, he says, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far for, for, from you, then you may slaughter from your herd and from your flock, which the Lord has given you just as I have commanded you, and you may eat within your gates as much as your heart desires. Just as the gazelle and the deer are eaten, so you may eat the unclean and the clean alike. Again, he's talking about clean and unclean, not the foods, but the people. Um, if it's just a meal. But he's saying, if you live too far away, God is gracious. He's saying, you know what, if you live too far away, there are circumstances in which you are allowed to not, not do it. Only be sure that you do not eat the blood. Again, for the blood is the life. And you may not eat the life with the meat. You shall not eat it. You shall, not, you shall pour it on the ground like water. Verse 25, it says, you shall not eat it, that, he, that it may go well with you and your children after you when you do what is right in the sight of the Lord. Only the holy things which you have and your vowed offerings you shall take and go to the place which the Lord chooses. And you shall offer your burnt offerings, the meat and the blood on the altar of the Lord your God. And the blood of your sacrifices shall be poured out on the altar of the Lord your God, and you shall eat the meat. Observe and obey all these words which I command you that it may go well with you and your children after you. And when you do what is good and right in the sight of the Lord your God, when the Lord your God cuts off from you the nations which you go to dispossess, you and you displace them and dwell in their land, take heed, guard, to yourself that you are not ensnared to follow them after they are destroyed from before you, and that you do not inquire after their gods, saying, how did these nations serve their gods? I will also do likewise. Almost like you think, how could that possibly happen? How could they, after all of this, why would he need to say to them, after all of this time, now when you go in, and, you've, and all of the people who God will, will remove from the land before you, don't start looking around. It says, don't be ensnared, right? Tricked into or led into looking around and saying, huh, you know, I really like what they did there with that temple right there. Maybe, and, and say, let me see how they worship God because maybe we should worship the God, um, our God in the same way. And God says, just don't do that. Be guarded against this idea that you could take what the world is doing and somehow make it worshipful. God says, no, I've told you how to worship me. If it includes anything other than Jesus, it's not worship of God. If you go to another church, if you leave this church today because you're just like, man, that guy is just too long. <laughs> That's okay. I only take it a little personally. If you end up at another church, if that church isn't centered around Jesus and the word of God, go leave 
You have to leave there. It must be centered on the word of God and Jesus specifically. One thing that we've learned here is because we're going through a lot of the Old Testament here as well, is that you can't just be a church that says, we really only like the New Testament. We're just going to be a New Testament church that holds on to, I really like the, the Jesus part. I'm not so crazy about that wrathful Old Testament God kind of stuff. That's baloney. What are we learning here? That the, the, the message of God is compassion and love and, 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 and long-suffering, patience, grace. All the things that we love about Jesus are on a much bigger display in the Old Testament through God's actions, aren't they? We only have a few years of what Jesus, we have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of God with those same attributes on display. There's no way that you could pick this up and say, you know what, I only want this section right here. Just look at this, just, it's so little. Did I mention not forsaking the Levites? Okay, great. All right, we'll move on. Let's let's move on here. Uh, Verse 31, it says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way for every abomination of the Lord which he hates they have done to their gods, for they burn even their sons and daughters in the fire to their gods. Okay. What they would do... They, they would, in worship to Molech, okay, they had these statues. You can look this up online if you want to see a picture, but it kind of looks like a, a cow man. And he's sitting there and he's got his hands out like this. And what they would do is they would either build a fire around him or in, in the midst of it or something. They would superheat this statue till it was red hot. And then they would bring their children, their babies, and put them in the hands of this statue. And to cover up their screams, they would scream themselves and dance around to heavy drum beats so that they were worshiping Molech by making it says making their children walk through the fire it's it's referred to, right? And they've actually found some of these these in, in archaeological digs, they found some of these statues and he's saying that this is what they did. And you might think that that um, it's so deplorable something so horrible as that, that these Israelites would say, just like your reaction actually was just like, oh my gosh, how could they do that? And you would think that they would hear that and they would be like, that's so horrible. You don't even need to tell us twice. You don't even, that you don't need to tell us twice. We would never, ever do that, right? Wouldn't you think that? Unfortunately, not only did they not tear down Some of the people that you know not only allowed it, but built altars to Molech. guy named Solomon. You ever hear of Solomon? I'm going to read this to you, okay? This is 1 Kings chapter 11. But Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites from the nations whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. And he even had 
700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as it was in the day of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. And Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemish, the abomination of Moab, and the hill that is east of Jerusalem, and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. Solomon built that. Solomon. And King Ahaz, King Manasseh, both, it says, offered their children to Molech through the fires. And it wasn't just that they, they didn't just say, well, you know what, I'm going to respect what they believe and let their, let their um, pillars and, and temples stand. They actually built them and used them. They were turned, just like he said, don't, don't, be, don't be fooled, don't be ensnared. Don't, don't let go of what you know to be the absolute truth. That's for real, gang. If we do not cling to what we know is the absolute truth, what will we embrace? What will we embrace? Whatever's loudest, easiest, whatever will benefit us even temporarily, the Bible says, the Bible calls it whatever tickles our ears, whatever it is we want to hear is what we will embrace. And where does it lead? They were killing their children on the idol of a pagan god. Finally, Josiah comes. Uh, Josiah was eight years old when he took the, took the throne. Eight years old when he ascended to the throne. Eight and he was only the king for 31 years. And it says in verse 2 of Kings, 2 Kings 22, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, and walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn to the right side or the left. All right? You can read in, in chapters 22 and 23. You should actually. I'm not going to do it now. But you should read 2 Kings 22 and 23. And he starts going through and tearing down. And it is like two pages of tearing down that idol and this pagan thing and that pillar and this priest and, and, and you know, all these pagan priests that had found their way in because of the kings that were evil turned away from the worship of God. And just, just thing after thing and temple after temple that he just started going in and cleaning house because he was doing what he was focused on God. He was saying, I will only worship God in the way that he says, I'll make him forefront in front of my eyes and I'll make him preeminent in my life and I will tear down all the other junk that has come into this kingdom. It says of King Josiah that there was now before him, there was no king like him who turned the Lord, he turned to the Lord with all his heart, with all of his soul and with all of his might. Remember that? Isn't that exactly what Moses said? If you want to honor God, if you want to serve God, if you want to worship God, you love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul and with all of your might. This says that's exactly what Josiah did. What made Josiah a mighty and great king? He worshiped God preeminently and only 
according to all the law of Moses says, nor after him did any arise like him. So sad. It's so sad. They were pulled away to worship other gods because they let things they didn't utterly destroy or get rid of everything that was going to pull them away. But Josiah came in, and you read that. Josiah, read about him, 2 Kings chapter 22 and 23, and see the lengths that he went to destroy all of the stuff that was there to pull him away. And it says that he loved God with his heart, his soul, and his might. And there was no one like him after. I hope that's not true anymore. I hope I've got a room full of people who are loving God with all their heart and all their soul and all their strength and who are guarding their hearts against being sucked into the things in this world that want to draw us away, draw us away from the truth, embrace the truth, because if you don't, you'll embrace whatever the next thing is that comes along. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I do just thank you for this morning. I thank you for turning the lights back on so that uh, we could sit here in comfort uh, and, and study your word. Lord, although I have no doubt that every single person here would have been here all sweaty and in the dark right up until now because the, we're here because we want to hear your word. Lord, we want to worship you through our song and through our prayer and through our study of your word, Lord. So thank you. Lord, again, I just pray and I thank you for this day, for this morning, for this reminder that even on the days that are crazy and scary, Lord, that you're still on the throne. Uh, Lord, that it says that your eyes are on us every day of the year. I thank you for that. I apologize for that, Lord, the things that I know you must see. Lord, I pray that you would give us the strength to be able to leave today and remember as we go out that we could face tomorrow, Lord, because you live. You hold the future. I know it. I know it, Lord. So, Lord, I thank you for this group that's come today. Lord, please keep them safe as they leave. Lord, I uh, ask your blessing on tonight's uh, time of prayer. Lord, that you would meet us here in this room. And I know you will because we'll be gathered in your name. So, Lord, as we close today, I just want to say thank you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. For more information about this podcast and other Calvary Chapel Naples resources, please visit us at ccnaples.org.